Welcome to From Ashes to Beauty with John Ortberg. Each day, Monday through Friday, you'll find 10 minutes of relevant spiritual guidance on the kind of people we are becoming. Follow us on YouTube at becomenew.me or receive daily text alerts when a new episode is published by texting the word BECOME to the number 56525. Invite a friend to listen along by sharing this podcast or sharing the link becomenew.me. We're glad you're here. And now, here's John. Hey, as you might be able to tell when you look behind me, today is a gorgeous day, and I'm in the desert. And I'm really glad to be here, partly because of what we're going to talk about for a few minutes, and I'll get to that in just a second. But honestly, mostly because I'm here with my daughter. I had told her that I had to come down here to meet a couple of people for a day or so, and she asked me, would you like a partner to come along with you? And I said, I would love it. And she was going to arrange the details. Laura is the only J-organized, detailed person in our family. The rest of us are off the charts peas, and we have tormented her with that because of that for many, many years. But it happened in this case that she actually got the dates wrong and was making plans for the wrong day, and I had the dates right. But she said to me yesterday, well, since I had planned for us to go down early, let's just go down early. Let's spend a little more time and just hang out together. And so, spur of the moment, I threw some stuff in a suitcase and we went to the airport last night and here we are. We got to have breakfast together today. We got to, we get to hike around here and have dinner tonight. And I'm so grateful and it just made me think as we're on this journey from ashes to beauty, if an impulse comes, if a thought or an opportunity comes just to love somebody, just to bring joy to somebody, just to give somebody a gift of time or service or an expression of love, what a great thing to do in this Lenten season. And I'm so grateful I have somebody who did that to me today. Now, we're in this desert. We're on this trip from ashes, from our limitations, from repentance, to beauty, to God, to aliveness, to Easter, to resurrection. And we've been learning together that it begins by recognizing I can't. I'm not able to live that life, be that person. God can. There is one. He has all power and all knowledge, and he's loving and good. And therefore, I think I'll let him. And so I surrender my life and my will to God. And now on that journey, we think about what comes next, because always something comes next. Spiritual life is very much like riding a bicycle. Uh, If you ever stop, you're going to fall off. There is no opportunity to remain stagnant and stay in the same place. It's the nature of time. It's the nature of our wills that must always be surrendering in new and fresh ways to the good and our minds. And so, as I surrender my life and my will to God, then the next step is I say to God, God, would you reveal to me the truth about myself, those good things, those gifts that you have given to me so that I can be grateful, and then the junk and the problems and the bad habits and the negative tendencies so that I can be a part, God, together with you and your help of changing and getting them rooted out. And the desert is a great place to talk about this because in the ancient world generally, and in the world of the Bible as well, the desert was often a place where people would go to wrestle with their demons. As you might remember, this Lenten season primarily is uh, uh, responding to those 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert 
when he was having to face the devil and temptation and struggle with his identity, if you are the son of God and his mission. And there's other characters in the Bible that also had to do that in the desert. Moses, before he saw God at Mount Sinai. Elijah, when he was in a real deep pit. And the desert was associated with that often in the ancient world. You might know in Greece, at a place called Delphi, there was a temple of Apollo. And it was quite famous as an oracle of wisdom. And one of the sayings, the most famous one on its walls, were just two words, know thyself. If you are a fan of the Matrix films, over the doorway where the oracle lived was the Latin phrase, know thyself. Socrates said quite famously, we make fools of ourselves when we claim to know very obscure things, but we have such a hard time to know ourselves. The unexamined life is not worth living. Now you might think self-knowledge is really quite easy. I mean, after all, they are my thoughts running through my mind. They are my feelings, my emotions, my desires, my intentions, my choices, my decisions, my behavior. Of course I know that I'm the world's leading expert on me. Except I'm not. Except I have enormous blind spots. And what are increasingly researched as things like implicit biases. One of the primary findings of contemporary psychological research, although it's not from a faith perspective, is simply reinforcing how difficult it is to actually know ourselves. There's the self-serving bias that causes me to try to make myself more of a hero than I actually am uh, and causes people to think that they're more competent at almost anything. That's why 100% of young people in one study rated themselves as above average in their social skills. It's why people in hospitals suffering from accidents that they cause themselves rate themselves as above average drivers. There's uh, what's called the fundamental attribution error. If I yell at one of my kids, it's because they're really a problem kid and I'm having a bad day. If I see you yelling at your kids, you've got a character disorder. You, you're a bad parent. There's the confirmation bias. I will watch channels that reinforce what it is that I already believe. I will look for facts where I think that they will tell me what I want to hear. All kind of research around this that simply shows what uh, Mitchell Green, philosopher who teaches a MOOC, massive open online course that's all about self-knowledge, says that um, given ambient external factors, environmental factors, and predilections that are part of the cognitive and genetic, genetic natures with which we are born, there are probably pressures that push us away from self-knowledge. And Jeremiah said that uh, a lot more, uh, in a much more sticky way a long time ago. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Who can know it? So the writer of Proverbs writes, and, and here's a wonderful expression for today, the way of a person seems right in their eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. But the Lord pondereth the heart. I wonder what it is like for the Lord when he pondereth the heart. And now in this step, when I seek to discover the truth about myself, I ask God, would you help me to ponder my heart? Would you search me and know me? And we're going to practice this a bit more tomorrow. But I want to say another word today about why it's so important, because I know, I know uh, it can sound terrible, like it's frightening. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to know bad things about myself? Here's the irony. 
We work hard not to look at ourselves because we don't want to feel bad. And what we're left with is this empty, nagging, chronic, low level of guilt because the conscience is a gift from God and it cannot be permanently evaded. And when you turn, I promise, to honestly take a look at yourself and do that in an unflinching way, what you discover, and I've experienced this myself, is a sense of relief. Oh God, finally I'm doing what I always have known that I should do. Finally, I'm looking where I have always known that I ought to look. So we're going to begin to do this. Now, this is not um, uh, uh, fruitless introspection. That Harvard Business Review article that I noticed said there's a difference between uh, what we might call taking a fearless and searchable moral inventory to become truly aware versus just brooding introspection where uh, all that you do is spiral down into endless navel-gazing. So what we do, and you can begin to do it today, is we begin to examine ourselves, our patterns, our habits, our perceptions, our emotions with God. The psalmist says, search me, God, and know my heart. So we do it with God, and we do it uh, in a spirit that is fearless and searching. Do it with your thinker hat on, not your feeler hat on. The idea is not that you have to wallow around in, in misery. Um, it is to be fearless. No matter what it is that I see, God still loves me. And it is to be searching. There is no corner in which I cannot look. There is no habit that I cannot face. And then when it comes out into the open, I'm relieved because I know God still loves me. And it's to be done in hope. There's a French writer, Andre Gidey, I think is how his name is pronounced. And he says, if a caterpillar were to seek to know itself, it would never become a butterfly. It would never metamorphosize. And we're little caterpillars. But we're on our way to transformation, metamorphosis. We're on our way to flying. We're on our way to resurrection. We're on our way to becoming butterflies. So we don't seek to know ourselves to brood or ruminate or be defeated. We seek to know ourselves courageously and fully together with each other in the fellowship of the withered hand in hope. And this is part of the journey. If you just cling to beauty, if you just try to force yourself to say everything about me is beautiful, death will come and you'll end with ashes. If you start with ashes, repentance, reality, finitude, need, you end up with beauty. That's where we're headed. I'll see you tomorrow in the desert.